1: How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Ty Zanders to the Phil Lacrosse If You Podcast. Ty is the Director of Recruiting and High School Content for Inside Lacrosse and is, an, is, is a foremost expert on the topic. And Ty, it's awesome to have you on the show here. How are you doing, buddy?
2: I'm doing great, Jamie. Thanks for having me again. I, I enjoyed this last time and, and pumped, to, uh, pumped to be back, man.
1: I know. Well, last time we, you know, for those listeners that haven't tuned in, we're not going to cover all the same topics. So make sure you go back and listen to that podcast from a year ago.
0: The Philacrosity Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Lacrosse Academy. This 10-week online program is designed to teach cutting-edge lacrosse skills and IQ. Athletes will learn dozens of new techniques, creative drills, X's and O's, and most importantly, how to integrate it all into their game. To learn more or start getting better today, go to www.jm3sports.com forward slash academy. Um, But what I
1: want to kick off with this time is here we are with the class of 2021s. They're finally juniors coming off their first real summer of being in the spotlight. This is the first pristine, unadulterated, recruiting class in the history give me some uh, thoughts um on this class and, and and how the rules have really kind of worked out
2: yeah so you know i think it is a class that um I, I think guys really were were focusing on on uh this summer and and i say that because like it was the first time they focused in on on like one class really and if you look like at the 20s the 19s they've been watched for three, four, five years and, you know, you had all those years of valuations and, and, and some took, you know, early risks and a lot of those kids made early commitments. And, um, you know, for the most part, that wasn't the case with the 21. So I think there are, uh, maybe six, seven, um, standing commitments, uh, that happened before the rules, um, before the the rule changes in April 2017 but yeah it's it's largely um you know the test case for that legislation that is in place that i mean i i think just the best thing ever happened to the sport um yeah. as crazy as that may sound um i think it's just it's been tremendous for all parties involved and it's been fun to kind of see how things work out you know uh, have worked out so far you know through the fall knowing we've passed about you know 200 commitments in in just over 2 months which is uh, yeah, more than I would have guessed.
1: Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you next. Um, so how many kids committed in September and then how many again in October?
2: Uh you know, I have to go back to, to that list. I mean, I, I think it was, gosh, I mean, I know we were at 160 in the, uh, the first 60 days, um, uh, the first 50 days rather. And, you know, we did a study on that on dot that that went through the data um but you know as i go backwards here there were 76 commitments uh in september um and then you know looking at the totals here i mean there've just been massive rushes in the in certain like 4 or 5 day stretches um you know as the the highest ranked players the most highly recruited players uh commit you, you'll see like uh the the non-starred players make decisions and that's been pretty interesting to see and there's no doubt uh that the the five stars, the the best players, they kind of set the process. And that is who, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with this. You know, when you were at Denver, uh, you obviously prioritize a handful of players that you give big money to. Uh, you go after pretty hard. And then, you know, say they end up choosing a different school, uh, you go down your list um, and, you know, see who else is left and, and try and track them. So, you know, that's what's happened, um, you know, so far. And then, you know, by the time that we got to, we had 200 commitments on 31st. Uh, so it, yeah, it's, it's pretty shocking. Um, just the, the overall volume and the timeline that we've seen, because I know that when we got to a hundred total commitments, uh, you know, guys felt like we should have been at like 30, you know, maybe 40, 50 by then. So it's, it's almost, you know, uh, doubly accelerated as people except, ac- uh, anticipated, you know, and I think that, uh, no one really knew what to expect and, and that's the fun part and that's why i love carbon recruiting so much is that you you never know what's going to happen um and you know there's there's always uh, some sort of surprise uh um you know and and really never a dull moment in the recruiting world i never would have predicted that there'd be this this volume of commitments but uh it's certainly you know fascinating to follow
1: so it's november 5th there's about 200 commits uh, what schools uh, are leading the way
2: in terms of volume or to the number or, or talent I mean volume first volume first yeah I, I think um, you know army is has had a good amount um, you know air Force i mean that's important to note that um, even through this the the legislation and the, and the rule changes that the the service academy still had that July first uh, you know date to 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 communicate with with kids It's not the same exact rules you're pretty limited. Um, you know, it's, it's phone calls. Um, and I, I want to maybe emails, but, but don't quote me on that. Um, so they have a bit of a head start, uh, which I think is justified, but uh, I think those schools have done a good, really good job. Hopkins and, uh, and Carolina have a good amount, um, you know, with some schools that I've spoken with, uh, really just kind of wanted to, um, you know, maybe get about halfway through their class. Um, and, uh, you know, heading into the fall. And, and really just kind of take it slow and there's some positions that uh, I mean attack is is one um, in particular and and, and face off is you know face off guys as well that the guys wanted to wait on you know wait on I remember a coach saying to me that he felt like the attack class uh, it, it kind of had a, an incomplete report card you know wanted to see more and you know and we'll get into to fall across I'm sure later in this podcast but you know to, to me I've always felt like you shouldn't be taking a kid solely off fall across. If you are maybe uh, wanting to see more after what you saw in June and July and, and, and really just, just want to see how that kid develops and and see, you know, more reps from him uh, and impress in November and and want to take him. Sure. That's fine. But you should not be watching a kid for the first time in November or December um, and take him boss, you know, based off that alone. And uh, I don't think we'll see a whole lot of that. I think guys are, are smarter than that because everyone has had the ability to look back at their recruiting strategy and change it, you know, based on the current, you know, rules and, and based off maybe getting burnt in the past on going early or going from a certain area or, you know, uh, taking a kid at a particular position like a faceoff man or a goalie that that guys want to wait on and then getting burnt there. I mean, everyone's kind of changed their strategy based on the, the last couple of years um, and uh, I think that's going to create a better product, ultimately, you know, in in my mind, at least.
1: So you're looking at a list right now of the schools that have the most commitments. Who's who's leading the way right now?
2: Yeah, I think Air Force has, uh, you know, 10. And then you have Johns Hopkins, Brown, Maryland, all with nine. Um, you know, I think that that one's interesting because there were a handful of commitments for each one of those schools that, um, you know, besides Air Force, who, as we said, could could recruit in July and August. Yeah. Uh, you know, Maryland Hopkins and, and Brown, I think, had between them five or six commitments uh, before the first. And, and uh, you know, for Brown, that was two kids that committed uh, to the Bears, uh, uh, but committed to a PG year. So it's 20s that will be PGing. And then, uh, you know, Penn's done a really good job as well. They've got, you know, eight and I think maybe six of them are in the top 100. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it's just interesting to see Hopkins and Maryland because those are arguably – you know, two of the more active programs in early recruiting, you know, whatever you want to call that, eighth, ninth, tenth recruiting, uh, that, that are still, you know, pushing pretty hard, uh, you know, in the 21s, these first two months.
1: It's pretty interesting, too, because some of these schools, um, you know, like if Penn gets to nine, they don't have much wiggle room for any more players. If Hopkins gets to nine, you know, they could, still take nine more if they wanted to although you're saying that they're they're thinking hey we want to keep our classes a little bit smaller than we've kept them in the past
2: yeah for sure you know and I think that um you know you you don't always know how things are going to work out and you know certainly Penn and Hopkins are going to recruit differently one has scholarships uh you know one's an Ivy League you know and that it also has uh you know Wharton to uh to to push the kids so it's a different process and uh you know, you're, you're dealing with aid rather than, you know, yeah. those those 12 points to scholarships. So, and, uh, you know, and, and certainly Maryland and Hopkins tuition are, are a bit different, uh, you know. Well, uh, so, yeah, spots.
1: it's all different. The
2: Ivy League, you know, is
1: going to have – you're going to get 9 or 10 or 11 spots, and you can't just get more. And some schools don't have that, and that's their luxury to be able to recruit bigger numbers. And in the early recruiting days, you know, they would take, you know – eight kids when they were freshmen and then four or five when they were sophomores and then two or three years, then maybe one or two as seniors. And all of a sudden they ended up with huge recruiting classes, but now is that they can do more homework on, on their players and don't have to recruit such big classes to make up for mistakes early.
2: Exactly. And I think, I think that was kind of the name of the game, you know, for, for certain programs. And uh, you know, I mean, I will say, you know, some handle it differently with the amount of spots that they're given through admissions. And some also bolster their recruiting classes or rosters with, you know, some walk-ons, you know, and, and, you know, quote unquote, no money kids that actually, you know, made an impact, uh, you know, every now and then, but it also gets to a point where you only have uh, so many lockers, you know? So if you're going to, if you're going to take a a big recruiting class year after year uh, you never want to get to the point where you're, you're buddying up and having kids share lockers because I, from what I've gathered, that's been, you know, close to the case, a couple of programs uh, that have taken you know pretty large recruiting classes year after year.
1: How many total spots do you think there are for Division One players across the board? How many total kids will go Division One from the class of 2021?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think if you were to, you know, ballpark it, um, you know, I would say somewhere between. 800 and and a thousand, maybe, Um, you know, if, if you consider uh, somewhere between 10 and 12, you know, you know, kids per class um, and then 70 or so division one programs, I think that, yeah, somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 800 to, to a thousand spots in division one, you know, and and don't make me do the math when it comes to division two and division three, but I mean the, the the percentage, if you look at that, you know, knowing that there's somewhere between 800 and a thousand, and knowing that about 230 or so, maybe 220 kids are committed right now, um, I mean, that's a small portion of the class. And we've got a long way to go. And uh, I think that was really my biggest advice for, you know, families going through the recruiting podcast is, you know, there's all this hype about September 1st, but you, you have to realize um, then you do have all this time. This is, this is not a sprint. You know, it's, it's a marathon. This is going, you know, all the way through um, to, you know, your high school graduation, especially knowing now, um, and this is not widely known, but, you know, National Signing Week starts and just keeps rolling. And in the past, you know, it would go for a week. It would be Wednesday to Wednesday, mid-November. Uh, you know, now you're not really tied to, to any one date. Uh, it just kind of keeps going. So there's a long way to go. Um, And, you know, I mean, just uh, tons of spots out there at, uh, you know, a lot of great programs, because there's also a lot of great spots out there, uh, you know, for the 20s. So a small portion of these uh, admission spots, these athletic spots have have been filled uh, as of November 5th. So
1: I I wrote in my little notes to you before this podcast that I had made the statement that the class of 2021 is the most under-evaluated class, uh, in my opinion, in the history of Division One lacrosse recruiting. And then you said, hey, I think I said that on the podcast last year. which is like, I may have. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, the fact is, and you alluded to this earlier, that it used to be that you would start watching players play as eighth graders and you would see who all the best kids were and you could sort of see, and, and, and it allowed you over the course of two, three, four years to pretty much know the whole class by the time September 1 hit. This year, there was not a whole lot of um, time and effort put into the 2021s until this summer. I mean, I'm sure last fall there was some, um, Mm -hmm. but but the fall, as we know, it was six days and it's just, you know, and it was basically terrible weather last fall too. So, you know, it's, it's equivalent of a couple of days. Now you've got more players than ever. You've got more good players than ever. You've got more events than ever. You've got more club teams than ever. And there's no way that a coach can really get to know players. And you know this as well as anybody, because you're trying to get to know them and watching a half of a game of a team, a few times over the course of the summer, if there's 10 or 15 division one caliber commits on this roster, how are you going to know who everybody is?
2: Yeah. And and that's the the challenging part. And, you know, I I know that, you know, sometimes I I tend to kind of uh, lump myself in with some of these college coaches because we have, you know, we're trying to accomplish different things, but, but we are, you know, trying to accomplish the same same thing in that we we want to see the best players. We want to see them, I mean, multiple, multiple times, um, you know, before making a decision, whether it's on a ranking or on a scholarship money, um, you know, yeah. whatever it may be. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think what, what I've always said, um, and not just in the context of the class in 2021, but, but, but definitely pertinent to that class, is that you know, there's there's so much more talent than there was. You know, five ten years ago, and and I was you know getting my career started ten years ago, and I felt like there were just a handful of events, and they are different events. Um, you know, the the rich were getting richer. There wasn't as much parity in college lacrosse um, or in recruiting. Um, it was just a different process. There's just so much more talent and from more areas um, and from more clubs than there were uh, a handful of years ago. So you know, that being said. Uh, you really have to be smart about the way that uh, you attack the recruiting process, whether it's the fall um, or, you know, the, the spring or the summer, Uh, you you really have to have a a strategy that allows you to, to watch kids as much as possible, because when you don't, you know, that's when you end up uh, doing yourself a disservice. You know, you you never want a one hit wonder that that you see at a recruiting event that, that played really well and take them because of that. You know, I usually like to have, you know, maybe watch anywhere between, you know, five and 10 full games of a player before I rank them. And that's the minimum. You know, I mean, they're kids that I've probably seen, you know, that are juniors. I've probably seen 15, 20, you know, full games or maybe that are seniors. I've seen, you know, 15, 20, 30 full games. But, you know, the the more you watch as someone, you know, the better off you are, you know, the better you feel about that player panning out the next level.
1: It's crazy too, because I do a lot of, you know, video analysis and and I'll like do the stats and you know, a good player might dodge six times in a game, maybe 10 times if they're the main go-to, but if there's a bunch of good players on a team, they might dodge six times in a game. And if you're watching a half a game, then you're gonna watch this kid dodge three times and there's no way that you're really gonna know. And so the statement, the most under evaluated class what this really means is that, like, listen—it's the the, the the top players in the class. Everybody knows, right? That's easy. It's just that there's a lot of other players that could become the top players in that class that I believe that coaches don't know yet, and it's just because they haven't—they don't have a big enough sample size. This fall is going to be huge, I think, actually, for for evaluating. As much as everybody hates it.
2: Yeah, no, I agree, you know, and, um, you know, yeah, it definitely is tough. And I think that, um, you know, while it's a great thing, there's more talent than ever. Um, it, it also, you know, makes it tough because I mean, to your point about, you know, watching halves. I mean, I, I don't love watching halves, but you kind of have to do it sometimes. Uh, you miss half the goalies, you know, so you, you, you know, right. goalies are, are splitting halves or, or safe. a face off, you know, I'm talking about maybe dodging four or five times a game what about a dominant, you know, face-off guy and the, the effect that they have on a game, you know, and the time of possession and the amount of, you know, reps that the offense gets, you know, with those, uh, you know, with those possessions off the face-off. So it's, it's, it's tough, but uh, you know, like you said, I think of the fall, uh, many people are viewing as as more important than it has been, but uh, you know, I will say, and and this is uh, not anything against any single event, but, all across has not gotten better. Um, you know, it's just more important, um, right. you know, so we'll kind of see what happens. I'm, I, I'm most curious to see uh, the amount of commitments and, and to where uh, that we see these next few weeks in, in November and December, what months will we see more commitments because uh, a lot of kids and, and their families uh, want to be done to, so they can focus uh, almost entirely on, you know, their spring season. Uh, they don't like to make commitments and, and make all these visits knowing that their, their focus and, and their weekends really are just gobbled up by, uh, you know, by their high school teams. I'm curious to see if we'll see more of that uh, or if they'll just kind of, you know, hold off for, for rising senior summer. We'll just see, you know, a, a massive plethora of of commitments in, in June and July or, or even next fall. So I think that's where I'm most intrigued to see is yeah. just, uh, the The changes you know it 's not just going to be the the fall commitments uh what we 'll see in the late winter and, and and early spring I
1: agree I mean obviously, I think like we said, I think this fall is is going to be more important than it has been simply because the coaches really need to see these players play more, and there 's going to be kids that emerge that they 're like wow i can 't believe I missed that kid. Where was he all summer it 's like, well, he was there, you know that 's just what happens right Because you just don 't get enough opportunity to watch him and then Like you said, they're going to go through. We're going to see what happens in December and January. And then once the coaches are in full season mode starting mid-January into early February, it's not that the recruiting is going to stop, but it's going to slow way down because they just don't have the time to focus on recruiting unless it's kind of wrapping something up that got started earlier. And obviously they're not watching a lot of players in the months of December and January outside of a couple of showcases or prospect camps. Um, and then it moves on to the summer where I would say if you're a 2021 and you're not committed by, by December or January, don't worry about it because there are going to be spots at incredible places. And in a lot of them, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if close to 50% of the spots of in division one were still available. Um, there's going to be hundreds of spots left. I would say, wouldn't you agree with that?
2: Yeah, I, I agree, you know, entirely. And, and, you know, I think that, when, when, you, when I look back at the 20 class, which, you know, as we know, um, you know, has, has the Brennan O'Neills of the world that, you know, committed in eighth grade. And, and we saw this, this huge, um, you know, volume of, of flips uh, last fall, you know, I mean, after these guys that committed to these schools could, literally could not talk to their future college coaches for, you know, a year, year and a half, two years, whatever it was. Um, you know, they all, you know, flip their decisions. But but that kind of created, you know, there were a lot of open spots uh, this summer for 20s. I mean, there were some schools that are in the top 20 that legitimately had, you know, four, five, six spots open. So I think that's pretty exciting to consider, because I think that number will only go up, um, you know, for the 21, you know, class than the 22. So, uh, you know, while, while I understand the the need, um, the desire to to get the decision over with um and and find the right home be patient you know wait like there's there's so much time and and like the the door never really closes uh these guys are always especially in the poaching era and all that like these guys are always looking out for the top talent uh no matter what you know I mean the the door really never closes and I mean that
1: yeah and you know in this poaching era where people are flipping their decisions and, um, you know, it's probably changed the dynamics quite a bit about uh, friendships on the sideline of these recruiting <laughs> events. There's going to be oh, some yeah. you probably prefer not to have to do it to, but at the end of the day, it's your job, right? And you're going to just do what you got to do, get the best players you can. Um, and, um, and that said, I wonder if that has an impact on some of the schools that are not at the top of the food chain. It's like, why would they rush to go get the best player they can get? Um, when they know that kid is just going to get poached down the line anyways. And I think it slows that that process down, which is just going to leave more open spaces too,
2: What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely agree. And I also think that we won't see as many flips as we did in the past. And I do think there'll be some movement, but, um, you know, I'm inclined to, to think that, uh, you know, I don't want to, you know, name any names as an example and, and uh, you know, anything like that. But I do think that maybe uh, we'll tend to see more flips um, you know, or a higher percentage of the flips being something where it's like a, a someone that committed to a school in the bottom half of Division One, whatever you want to call it, and, and one of the big boys, you know, sees that kid develop right. tremendously and, and, and picks him off, you know, rather than a, a kid flipping from a top 20 to a, a top 20. I, right. I don't think we'll, you know, we'll definitely see that because, I mean, the the Notre Dames of the world will we'll always, you know, be looking to to pick guys off um, and, and plenty of other schools beyond them. But, I do think that it'll be more so be, um, you know, uh, maybe the haves versus, the ha- you know, the haves picking off the, the have-nots, if you want to, you know, look at it that way. Um, you know, but it, it's been fascinating to kind of see that, I mean, there's already been a couple flips of kids that committed before the rules. And, uh, you know, I think we the first flip of a kid that committed a few weeks ago and then, uh, you know, wound up somewhere else because his money was, was, was picked up. Um, you know, was was brought up through that school, you know, losing some kids. So, I mean, it it just just some some pretty interesting trends all over the place. And, and, uh, you know, I know you and I both are both looking forward to kind of seeing, you know, what happens from here Um, and the amount of movement that you see, uh, you know, through next summer and next fall. Because uh, it's really just going to be going on at at all times. Meanwhile, uh, September and, and October were just jam packed with commitments. Uh, I I think that it's just the commitment process is just more spread out than than it has been.
1: Yeah. And and on the other hand, I think there's going to be people that are just feeling the pressure. Um, There used, there was pressure in early recruiting too, but the window was greater. The pressure was simply that spots were going and that pressure is the same. And so in some ways it's a little more condensed because of the fact that all the spots are basically being taken care of over the course of September one through, let's just say, October or November of the senior year, if not September to September. So, therefore, you wonder if, if the kid, who, you know, these kids who flip after they commit, sometimes it's because they, they might have chosen a school because they were afraid they were, that was going to be their only opportunity.
2: And yeah, was, yeah,
1: you know, yeah. They like, wanted to come to our school, and they could, you know, that the power of that recruiting, you know, pu- uh, level of the food chain allows those some programs to do that.
2: Yeah, I feel the same way. And just, you know, I mean, just to correct myself, I mean, I think I was just meant to say that, that it's more condensed, um, you know, in, in, in certain times. I think that, I mean, we've looked at these 200 commitments, and, and I'll be honest, I, I see some of these commitments, you know, on paper, and there's some very good players out here. But I look at, at some of them, and I think, you know, why right now? You know, like, why, why go there, you know, when, when you can go play in November, um, and then, you know, even next summer? Um, you know, and, and see what happens. I mean that actually on, on both sides. I think that there have been some premature takes, um, you know, for some players out there uh, that, that kind of leave my, you know, leave me scratching my head a little bit. You know, I mean, you, you can take your time here. You know, you you, you, ha- you, you coached a very desirable school. Um, and, you know, you, you can really just, you can wait, you know, you don't have to get so antsy and, and, and lose your patience and try and make a splash. You, you can really just, you know, take your time if you want to. Um, though I understand the need to, the desire to to want to, wanna, you know, get maybe three, four, five guys that you can build around, right. um, you know, and that's what you want to do, but you don't want to fill up your class too much too early.
1: No, because like, because what we're saying, and it's true, is there are so many kids out there that haven't really been evaluated to the level uh, that, They will. And when they do, people are going to love these players. I'm familiar with a few myself. I'm like scratching my head. I'm like, man, that kid's really, really good. I'm surprised he's not getting more interest and I'm sure he will. And if you're a really good player, you should keep the faith. And that's a really important part of this whole process is is keeping the faith and keeping continuing to get better, which, by the way, is the beauty of this whole new model is that you can focus on getting better up until September one, you know, or at least until June one of your, after your sophomore year. And you can continue to get better between now and June after junior year, because there's gonna be an opportunity to go out and get, get seen by everybody. Whereas the old way, you know, if you weren't good enough by eighth grade, you know, you might miss out on your opportunity to go to certain schools.
2: Yeah. And then, and everyone, you know, develops it at, at different times. Um, you know, whether that's, you know, athletically, uh, academically or, or, or socially, you know, some of us are, are late bloomers, you know, I am I'm, I'm one of them, you know, I, I didn't bloom until my late twenties for Christ's sake. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think that everyone really develops at different times and, and that's okay. And like you said that they uh, you know, if, if you were a big six foot uh, you know, 180 pound, you know, rising ninth grader, you, you'd have Hopkins and Carolina and Maryland, you know, at your games. Yeah. Um, you know, whereas there were some kids that ended up becoming better players than you know those th- those guys, then didn't get looks until they were you know rising juniors, um, or maybe you know went committed somewhere, and, and then you know were 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 away, you know, by that one of the powers that be in the ACC or Big Ten or Ivy League, and I think that. Um, you know, not to keep going back to the, you know, your door never, you know, that door never really closes. But, you know, that, that, that is the greatest thing about, you know, this legislation and, and these new rules is that you, you have that you have the benefit um, of, of having the time and, and, and really just constantly be working, um, you know, on yourself, you know, on your game, on your grades, um, you know, on your social life, whatever it is to kind of figure yourself out. So you can put yourself in a position to to find the right place. Um, you know, and there's always gonna be pressure. But I that's definitely one of the best parts about it is that you can really take your time with all this and, and not feel, you know, discouraged because you haven't grown or haven't developed, you know, an offhand or, you know, uh you know, haven't put on the, the muscle that you'd like to. Right. You you have the the time to to do that. And you know, as as we all feel the same way, it's like you really just I don't know. I mean, it's, it's something about these, these rules, I think has has just revolutionized every aspect of lacrosse, you know? And I think that it's like, it's decreased the anxiety and uh, you know, and, and sure, like there will be that, that anxiety will, will still be present, but you don't have to feel it in, in eighth, ninth, you know, 10th grade anymore. Uh, you, you have a, a whole lot of time, but the, the key is if you're also, if you're committing, uh, whether you're happy with with where you're committed or not you you've got a lot to prove you know you've you've got to prove to that school that that uh you know you deserve to play there you know and, and uh you know i think that and i apologize if i said this on on the, the the previous podcast we recorded a year ago but you know the the nature of of where we are um, you know social media or you know media coverage uh, you know, whatever it is, and this remains true. You know, post uh, early recruiting is that when when someone looks at, at a player, uh, they almost associate them with the school they're committed to just as much as their name. You know, if if I see a kid is, if, if anyone sees a kid is committed to Duke or Maryland or or Yale or Notre Dame, you know, you you almost have to live up to that. You know, and and you've got to work harder to to show that you deserve that. Um, and you know, maybe it's unfair. Um, but, but that is the world that we live in right now.
0: The Phil V podcast is brought to you in part by the JM three coaches training program. If you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw, like so many of the guests on the show, you are going to love the content in this program. Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information.
1: No doubt. So just popped into my head as we were sitting here talking. We are talking about, you know, there's not going to be a whole lot of opportunities to evaluate players after November besides a few showcases or some prospect camps over December, January. Um, do you think coaches are going to make more of a concerted effort to watch high school games during the course of their season, more so than they would have in the past, knowing that they've got spots to fill and they really, they really want to make sure that they're seeing some kids when they can?
2: Um, it's, it's hard to say, it's hard to predict. I mean, if, if I'm, um, you know, if, if I'm a coach, I, I definitely try. But, but well, like I said, it's like, you you, you got to focus on your own season, you know, and, and, and winning, um, and winning games so that you can maintain your job security and, and be at that school and end up coaching this class, you know, this class of 2021 when they arrive on campus in a few years. So, um, I, I, I would lean towards we we may not see towards saying that we may not see more you know uh just uh, uh a ton of coaches out there more um but but if i'm a college coach maybe i'd you know pop on uh, the, the film a little bit more you know make it more of a concerted effort to 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 get crossover accounts or huddle or whatever it is and you know pop those games um on its computer and, and watch film of kids because i mean i look at uh i mean i i love everyone loves evaluating High school lacrosse games uh, versus club, and, and club lacrosse has become a, a a phenomenal product in comparison to where it was. You know, it's become really well coached um, and you know more organized than it used to be. But 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 spring lacrosse is what you want when it comes to evaluating talent because you have you know you you have that player in a system and you have that player practicing every day and playing every game, playing green competition. Um, you know, I I think that's what you you want to look at the most, but like we've said you you don't have that ability uh especially if you're a school like uh say Utah for example um you know where you're you're so cut off from you know the the highest levels of high school across in comparison to school like you know maybe Towson or Loyola I mean I'll see the, I'll see coach Natolin or coach Toomey at high school games you know pretty frequently throughout the spring um but I, I'm just not convinced that we'll see a whole lot more of that because I think that their focus is in the right place in, in running their program and, and winning games, um, yeah. you know, but but it would be nice way. to see more of it. I can see it both ways because um, the bottom line is if you have a lot of recruiting to do
1: and you want to find players that other people don't know, you know, look at uh, division one men's ice hockey. When I was at Denver, they had an assistant coach that was like literally on the road all the time. And he was one of the coaches. Okay. And he was, he was, he would go to games when he could. But he was traveling and finding talent. And we know that recruiting is, you know, coaching is important, but there's probably nothing more important than your recruiting. Um, if you've got the players, you can win. And, um, and I think that, uh, that with the way recruiting was, the high school games were less valuable because you were recruiting kids that were freshmen or sophomores, and they might not even get playing time on those teams. Now you could go to a St. Anthony's game as a junior and find a junior that you would never seen before. You might've been like on a B team of some club, amazing club. And you're like, who is this guy? You know. And I think that there's probably, I mean, look, there's no question. There's not enough coaches considering how big the rosters are and there's never enough time. And I think the film concept you bring up is absolutely right on. Um, but I, I have a feeling there's going to be more um, coaches out watching high school games, trying to get a jump on it simply because they just, they're they're going to feel a little bit behind the eight ball with their, with knowing the talent and getting the commitments that they want.
2: Yeah. And I agree. You know, I, I do think there'll be, we'll see an increase, but I don't think it'll be, um, you know, a a drastic change. You know, I think just probably a handful more games. um, And and that's the way it should be. And you make an excellent point and and one that I've always felt strongly about and that, you know, and it's, this is a two part thing in the sense that, you know, you, I mean, you talk about St. Anthony's there and uh, you know, as an example, I mean, I remember the the time, you know, the the years where the the St. Anthony Chaminade JV game would be, like, one of the most, you know, widely attended games from from college coaches because, you know, that's where you were. You had the freshmen, sophomores on on those rosters, and and that's who you want to fill your class with. And, uh, you know, I I, I do think that there's this, like, huge benefit in watching high school lacrosse, Um, you know, but I think it's the kind of thing also – uh, and this is getting you know away from the off the field thing as well. But you know, I mean, we we know that the influence of of club lacrosse and club coaches is is just huge, uh, you know, on the recruiting process, and 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 certainly more so in early recruiting. But but now, you know, I, I feel like more high school coaches have been brought into the recruiting process, and and that is just a a big time you know positive for the sport because. Uh, you know, especially you know, with, with the private schools and, and even the public schools as well. Um, you know, you have a lot of these guys that that work in the school, um, that that are in the school every day, whether it's a, as you know a, a dean of, of uh, you know the upperclassmen or an English teacher or a gym teacher, uh, a principal, whatever it is. So you're dealing with these kids every single day as a high school coach, and you know these kids. Super well in comparison to a club coach, in my mind, that maybe sees sees their guy, you know, maybe twice a week, you know, certain times of the year. I think the the more high school across coaches are involved in recruiting, the better. And I think that the more high school across that the college coaches can see, the better. Uh, I, I think that that is something that is is one of the uh, you know under talked about you know things out there uh, in relation to to these rules is that high school lacrosse has become more important. And I think that even if you're, if you're a college coach and even if you're not out there a ton in the spring, if it, you're at least, you know, really doing a good job, uh, you know, keeping an eye on the stats and and uh, the success of, of some of these players and can at least look at that production from the spring on paper or, or the spring highlights or whatever it is, talk to that coach and then, you know, feel strongly about that guy and and, and make a point to watch him in June um, you know that's effective you know and and yeah you're not out there but you're at least saying god that kid was you know not on my list a a year ago but he put up you know 45 and and 10 for Landon you know and and came out of nowhere I'm gonna give him a hard look you know and I think that uh, that is is very beneficial to a college program you know feeling good about the guys they have you know in their recruiting class you know sure the kids you go out there and get early but you know, the, the late bloomers that came out of nowhere and, and started to produce a whole lot for and programs. Um, You know, that's huge.
1: I remember when I was at Denver, sometime we were at Notre, we were playing at Notre Dame in like, oh, maybe 01 or 03 or something like this. And I remember watching New Trier High School play in a high school game before our Notre Dame game. And there was this defenseman out there. And he was a sophomore. What a stud. He was like, the, a lefty incredibly athletic huge and I was like oh man if this kid like gets mono or something or breaks a collarbone I might have a chance with them and sure enough <laughs> about three months later at 205 I'm watching Matt Kelly being watched by Dom Stargia and sure off bang he's right to Virginia for their 06 championship team um but I think <laughs> that's the kind of way that coaches are going to just make go out of their way uh like you said through the film through crossover and huddle accounts for sure I know um uh, there's definitely coaches that have said, "Hey, sh- definitely shoot me that that information on this kid's crossover account. I want to watch it." Um, and I think they're just going to look for the opportunities because, at the end of the day, they just really need to see these kids. Um, and, and and coaches always do what they got to do. I mean, that's how that's what happens.
2: Exactly, and and technology has has only made it easier. Um, you know, I I know even you know personally, I've I've had you know a bunch of crossover and huddle you know passwords that that coaches have set me up with that it's made it easier for, for me to watch games that I mean, as far as San Diego, you know, or, or New England that, that maybe I can't get to as easily from, from my spot here in Baltimore. Um, you know, I think that's, uh, it, it's big for all parties involved to have that technology and, and have that film to, to be able to, to lean on heavily.
1: Okay. So how much 22, 2022 lacrosse are coaches going to be watching this fall in your estimation?
2: Um, you know, I, I, am inclined to say minimal and, and, you know, I will say that I, I I do, um, and and every coach kind of views the, the formatting, the scheduling of an event differently. Um, you know, I, I know an event this weekend, event I went to this weekend, they did 21s in the morning. Um, I think maybe eight until one or two, um, something like that. And then 22 is from, you know, from around lunchtime to six o'clock. You know, and, uh, you know, you, you didn't really have a choice but to to watch those 22s. Some guys just just want, you know, the option, you know, because obviously, uh, you know, St. Bonaventure is, is recruiting uh, a, a different way from Maryland, you know, and, and both were in attendance. There's no need for, um, you know, a program like St. Bonaventure that's a new program to, to spend all this time and energy on 22s that you can't talk to when – they don't have, you know, they only have 121. you know, where Maryland, uh, is, uh, and these are just using examples, Maryland has eight or nine commitments and, uh, you know, they, they want to build a strong, they want to keep watching at 21s, but also build a list of 22s. So I, I know, you know, personally, I, I have not watched a lot of 22s, uh, but, but there is the, uh, the, the benefits of, of kids like, you know, Joey Splino or, or, uh, you know, Don Petromala, obviously two names, you know, two two last names everyone, you know, recognizes, right. you know, those guys playing up a grade or two. Uh, so we've seen a, a good amount of that. And I think that's why, you know, a, a couple of these known commodities in the 22 class, uh, you know, exist because they're they're playing up or they're playing as freshmen for their high school teams. But I, I don't think that we'll see a ton of, of 22s be watched. Um, but that depends on the format of an event. You know, yeah. I know that, wow. that I'll be watching more in the uh, – you know, in the winter, just trying to get some, some film from the summer and fall. Uh, But, but at the end of the day, there's really not a, a a huge need, um, you know, to, to watch 22s. But, but like you said, like, I'm, I'm incredibly curious to kind of see the balance uh, between the, the 21s and 22s next summer, because there will be so many good players out there. And so many, you know, so many attractive places that have multiple spots left. So, I'm intrigued to kind of see the balance of, uh, of all that. And, and, you know, as we've alluded to and how great the, the rules are a, a couple of years ago, man, you were, you were balancing, you know, everyone was, was having to watch four grades at the same time. Yeah. And, and that's tough. Like, and I feel like I've even been able to do my job, uh, you know, much better um, or feel much better about my, my, my evaluations because I can focus on two, two grad years and not worry about watching rising ninth, 10th, 11th and 12th graders at the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's been one, one of the biggest pieces uh, of, of it all.
1: So a year ago, I would say that coaches were turning the page on the 2020s a lot to the 21s a lot faster than this year. They're going to turn the page from 21s to 22s. And I think that's going to go right into the summer, which then leads me to the next statement of the class of 2022 is going to be the most under class in the history of college lacrosse recruiting for because of the way it seems to be going.
2: Yeah, no, and and I I definitely agree, Um, you know, and that's kind of why I know, you know, like like I alluded to earlier, like, you're the way you handle things in the past, um, you know, kind of shapes the the way that you handle it, uh, you know, going forward. And, you know, I I know, like a year ago, I I was focusing so much on, um, on the 21 or the I guess, yeah, I guess it was the, the 21s at Maverick Showtime and and there's some 22 sessions going on and I'm just like, nah, you know, I'm good. I'll wait until next year. I got to focus on this class, you know, whatever it is. And, uh, and then I look back and maybe I have the years off, but I I look back and I'm like, shoot, I should watch them more. You know, I would have had more of a list, you know, I don't really know the 22 class yet, whatever it is. Um, you know, and, and you're kind of scrambling a little bit, but, uh, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to, to see. And uh, you know, I think the twenty-two class, uh guys are already looking at that class and 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 comparing it to the twenty-ones because of you have these you know, these top flight attackmen in the twenty-two class, uh, you know, those those aforementioned names. And and you kinda look at that in combined with uh the reality that this attack class in the twenty ones isn't that good in comparison to the previous years, you know, I think there's maybe three or four, you know, five stars that I have that are attackmen, uh, but people are, you know, kind of feeling like they're having trouble. Uh, they don't think the the top tier of attackmen is as strong as it has been in the past, um, or maybe you know they don't think it'll be as strong as the 22s. But the the next, a lot of guys feel like the next few tiers of talent in the 21 class isn't as strong based on what they've seen. But a lot could change in these next few months, and yeah, a lot probably they, will they change right so now much will change the 22 is too you know i mean uh guys will catch up so it'll be interesting so if you
1: look at um if you look at the the attack group of the 21s you're saying isn't as strong i've heard on the other hand the goalie group is very strong what about defensemen and middies
2: uh i think the defensemen are are excellent and and that's the position that i felt the best about that's the position that you know the college coaches felt felt best about to the point that I mean, they were, they're throwing, you know, big money at some of these guys. And, and I think that's been one of uh, these coaches' main takeaways is, is just, I mean, high scholarships. Um, I mean, 70%, 80 90% uh, that's going out to the defensemen. And, and that's, that's rare. You know, that's, that's relatively rare in, in recruiting to, to spend that kind of money, you know, on, on a long pole. Um, you know, and some may call it a slippery slope, but I do think that's where the talent has been uh, in the 21 class, I, I've definitely felt best about the defensemen and the middies, super athletic, uh, really, really athletic. And, and some are, are more polished than others, you know, for sure is, is usually the case. But, uh, you know, the, the attackmen I point at as, uh, the attackman and face guys I point at is a group that, uh, you know, juries, jury's still out, you know, it's, it's very, you know, those were the two positions I, I focus the most on when I talk to college evaluators, while doing the rankings is, is just trying to separate all those guys. And they had a really hard time. Um, and you know, I, I mentioned that I kind of, you know, lump myself in with myself in with, with college coaches and we're doing something similar. I mean, I'm trying to figure out, you know, where to put him, uh, where to put these kids in, in the ranking. And, and these guys are trying to work and figure out where to put them on their boards and, and how much money to give them. So we, we've kind of all, you know, going back and forth and, uh, you know had a pretty hard time separating a couple of these positions in particular you know with faceoffs and 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 attackmen and uh you know yeah the goalie class is is very special and and from what i've heard um you know from from the goalie smith guys is that the 22 are our uh, are stellar you know in in cage so uh it, it'll be interesting cuz cause, cause some schools just don't feel the need to uh, or don't have to really uh recruit a a, a goalie every year yeah. um You know, I mean, if if you go hard enough for a 2021 goalie that you think is a top five guy in the class to keep him happy, maybe you don't take a 22 goalie. Um, You know, I know we saw that a whole lot with the the class of 2018 in goal. Uh, You know, it was a pretty good goalie class. And and guys, you know, maybe wouldn't take a 19. um, And and some, you know, or some didn't take a 20. But then we saw some transfers and we saw some red shirts. Uh, So you kind of have to be smart about, you know, managing that. I mentioned you know managing the attackmen. I know that there are some guys that are like, look, we're going to go all in on a on these twenty two attackmen next year uh, because we feel good about what we currently have.
1: Interesting. And so let's talk about the impact of repeating and reclassing, um, the impact that's already been happening as it relates to the class of twenty ones. Um, we already know what it was like in, in years past. Um, it was it was always with the early recruiting. If you are a sixteen year old freshman versus a 14-year-old freshman, it was a pretty big deal. Um, It's certainly an advantage to be an 18-year-old junior rather than a 17-year-old junior. Um, And I would tell you that any college coach would rather have a uh, 23-year-old senior than a 22-year-old senior, as well as a 20-year-old freshman versus a 19-year-old freshman. Um, If you haven't repeated, um, how big of a disadvantage is that for you? How much are you like playing up if you're kind of normal for your class or or even young for
2: yeah i mean that's that's hard to answer. i mean the simple like overarching you know theme to all this uh and, and point to all this is that it it's it was more beneficial to reclass under the old rules, and you know i mean I, I feel pretty strongly about that. I do think that this this legislation has um you know created less of a uh you know repeat culture uh it'll still exist, and you know I think what what people have to be you know, cognizant of is, is that all reclasses are not created equal. You know, I think that uh, oftentimes it's, it's justified. And I think of, you know, my old high school buddy, Christian Walsh, um, you know, who, who really just like became a, I feel like became a much better player and more ready for to play at Duke because he was a 17 year old, you know, uh, high school graduate of boys Latin, you know, albeit one that had just put up nine goals in my, uh, my St. Paul's crusaders and had a great career he needed more, you know, he needed to, to, to grow more and, and mature, um, you know, so a lot of times it's, it's situations like that. But, you know, what we've seen a whole lot, whether it's in the old rules or current rules, is, is kids repeat to gain advantage uh, on the rest of their class. Maybe they, they weren't developing properly. It's so probably to do that. I do not think we'll see as much of that. Um, but, yeah, there's no doubt that the college coaches would rather have, you know, an older player on their roster. And there's nothing against it. Um, and I also think that there's nothing, you know, it is important to consider though. And, and that's why, you know, I've always been a, a huge fan of any event that, that has the date of birth, uh, on the roster, you know, because it's important to, to have that information. And that's what we all want to do what the college graders want to do. What I want to do is gather information and, and the more information you have, whether it's the amount of evaluations you have a kid, uh, or the amount of film or his date of birth, or information about his parents and maybe how big they are or what their background is uh you know or, or whatever it is you, you want as much information as possible um and I know that there's some kids out there that were that we feel like we've been watching forever in the 21 class and uh you know naturally they're they're kids that have that have reclassed um but I do think the overall number of, of reclasses will will dwindle
1: so I agree with you that the Impact is lessened the older you get. Uh, but I would say that 100% of the time, you know, uh, a 21 will be a better 22. Yeah. To the level that it gets him to where he wants to go, who knows? I can also say that, you know, one of the better club teams in the country, you know, all but three of their kids were repeats. If you look at the New England prep schools, you know, whether you did it, whether you repeated and redshirted in kindergarten, whether you did a repeat eighth grade year, whether you reclass without actually repeating just to play in the class that you want to be in or with the, with the intention of doing a PG year or whether you actually do that ninth or 10th grade repeat. Um, it, it's, it is a big advantage. And um, while it may not happen as early, I think at the end of the day, given the fact that you're going to be a better prospect if you're not getting the looks that you want, I think you're going to see the reclasses happening after this november for 2021s they're going to kind of look and see where they fall if they're getting recruited by schools that they like but don't love they're just going to enter the class of 2022 and then they can still have conversations with college coaches which is a big advantage for them by the way and we saw it in the you know the first commits of the of the class of 21 were 2020s anyways um i actually think we might see more of that with the kids that are like just outside of the top group that are not getting recruited by the top, let's say, 20, 25 schools, ACC, Big Ten, Ivy League, whatever it is that they want. And they're like, man, I'm right there. If I'm a 22, I'm going to take my chances. And then what they do is they play both sides of the fence. So they really are 21s, but they're playing in 22s, and they can see if they can get that commitment. And if not, they'll just go to college where they would have anyways. And I, That's my prediction as to what I think might happen.
2: Yeah, no. And, and I, I definitely could see that. And I think that, you know, what makes it tricky is, I mean, we've talked about what we think that we'll see, you know, with the amount of spots that are open, uh, yeah. you know, say this time next year, maybe, you know, 10 months from now, 11 months from now, end of the summer, early fall. Um, but we really just don't know. I think that's where I almost look at this class in regards to the, the, uh, the, the reclass phenomenon. I think that I would almost be wary to, um, you know, as opposed to maybe a 22, when I can look back the 21 class and look, you know, look at the way that class, uh, materialized and, and what the timeline, you know, consisted of is because I just don't, it, it's so hard to know, um, you know, what's going to happen. And, yeah. uh, you know, like I said, I think that, you know, coaches, you know, they, they, they care about age and, and they don't care about age. Yeah. They'd like to have an, an older, you know, guy in their roster. But you know, I always think about uh, you know former Orioles manager Buck Showalter. He used to say, you know, you never draft an 18-year-old pitcher with a full full beard, you know, because you feel you know that guy's probably fully developed and, and maybe he's hit his peak. And you know, they got burned through through doing something like that, just as an example. And uh, you know, I think that there's there's maybe a concern about some kids in the 21 class. Um, you know, if they if we feel like that we've seen their best right now, um, you know. But but yeah, I mean. I, I know I've mentioned a million things that I'm, I'm very interested to see, and this is yeah. one of them, and, and what happens with the reclasses. I'm also intrigued to see uh, the amount of, of 21s that commit as 22s. I know Cornell has two uh, from Canada, which is, you know, the way the Canucks do that. I know you've had a, a handful of those at your time yeah. at, at Denver. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think it, I'm, I'm very interested to see if, if how many of, the, of those situations that we, uh, we, we, we have, a uh, 21 committed to be a 22. Uh, because I think there were a lot of 20s that committed to be 21s or you know, yes. 19s that committed to be 20s after PG year. So it'll be very interesting to see. And, and uh, it's hard to predict, you know, and that's the hardest, uh, you know, that's the biggest thing there. Um, you know, I think in, in general, you you have to, you can't get overly antsy, you know, to the point that you end up making a mistake and, and you, you realize that, uh, you know, it, it would have worked out and you just kind of like kept the faith and, and kept working and that, you know, because at the end of the day, like, if, if you work hard enough and, and you're a good enough player, you know, someone will make room for you, you know, and they're holding spots for you. So, um, you know, you really have to maintain that, that patience because uh, it all works out in the end, you know, and, and a reclass isn't always necessary, but, for no, but some, it is.
1: Yeah, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. I mean, you know, 10 out of 10 times you're going to be a better 22 than you were at 21, but that doesn't mean you're good enough. And um, and the coaches are going to make mistakes, whether you're of age or older or younger or whatever. I mean, if the NFL can't get it right on a really consistent basis with all their resources,
0: millions of dollars
1: older kids, and millions of dollars at stake, you know, college coaches aren't going to get it right either. And So what they do is they go for, hey, this is what looks to me like the best kid compared to the class. And that's what gives the older kids you know, the advantage. And this is not uncommon to sports to do it year by year, because if you're a January birthday, and you live in Canada, you've got a bigger advantage over the kid born in December. Exactly. Uh, and so it's just, it's nothing that's all that, you know, new. Um, exactly. It's pretty interesting to sort of look at it. Um, I want to change gears for a second and talk about inside lacrosse and your player rankings and the way you guys go about doing that. There are so many people that want to know. I know uh, you've chatted about it, Terry Foyke, um, came on a webinar and went over it, but just give us a breakdown of how you sort of pick your five stars, your four stars, and is there room for moving up or down within those rankings over the course? Yeah,
2: yeah no, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, go into depth about that because, you know, that's, uh, you know, one of the main things that I do and, and the area that I take the most pride in, and, but at the same time, it's the area that gets, you know, criticized the most. And I think that, you know, our, our previous topic, I think, you know, perfectly, you know, was a perfect segue into it um you know i you know to talk about the the nfl you know if they can't get it right you know i've i've always felt and and you know i this is uh something that some some good some some great head coaches that that i'm close to have said like it's a it's a rule of five you know like no matter if you're taking 12 kids per class um you know or or you know eight kids per class you need like five to pan out, you know, and and that's like a little bit less than half. I look at it the same way. Like I know that you know, regardless of how much time I put into the rankings, I'm gonna miss in a lot of guys. You know, there's there's a lot of variables. You know, and everyone's gonna miss. Um, you, you really want to be about half right, you know. And I think that through you know doing the process, uh, you know, I had that advantage or, or felt there was advantage. I've watched these kids over you know four or five years that were recruited early, and and now. You know that window is a little bit shorter, but you're seeing better lacrosse. And I think that you know what 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 I do is I'll watch you know say 50 or so games in the spring, um, you know anywhere between 40 and 60 in a given year, and then go to about 20 recruiting recruiting events in, in the summer. Um, you know, full days there and, and watching as much lacrosse as possible. Um, and then you know August is is the fun part. You know, um, you know I go from spending you know 12 hours in the fields to you know, with 12, 15 hours in the office, just on the phone, um, you know, compiling information and and bouncing all these names off these college coaches, because, you know, I I mean, while I may set the set the baseline, it's really these college coaches that are are indirectly, you know, uh, helping set the the rankings process and and put them together, you know, I'll send some spreadsheets around and and they'll uh, give their input in the phone. Um, you know, obviously all anonymously, um, you know, per NCAA rules, but, uh, yeah, it's really just a balance of of my own opinions based on what I've seen in the spring and summer and, and, and previous falls and all that, um, and, and combining that with, with all these opinions. So, I mean, I've got like this, God, I mean, 10, 11, 12,000 word document that is every single player in the rankings, and then, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, you know, comments. Um, or or in, you know opinions from from different college coaches, and I kind of meld them all together and, and have that document up my computer at all times, and uh, you know kind of helps me form an opinion because if if I've you know sure I've watched just as much lacrosse as, as they have a, on these players, I'm not a college coach, you know I'm I'm not you know I never played at a super high level, um, you know I don't have that same level of of intelligence uh, you know on the lacrosse field evaluating talent, but you know, I, I lean on my, my relationships and, uh, you know, feel like we can put out a pretty good product, um, you know, with, with what we have, the information that we have. And do I wish I could go to more high school games and beat every recruiting event and talk to every college coach in my, you know, in my list of contacts on my iPhone? You know, sure. But you do the best of what you have, and uh, we put a lot of time into it and, and take pride in it. But uh, end of the day, you know, there are going to be a lot of kids I miss on, um, but we we watch a, an awful lot of lacrosse and talk to the right people and, and, and form those rankings that way.
1: Well, I think you do as good of a job in, in, in the process of trying to be as thorough as you possibly can. Do you have other sets of eyes outside of you and your college coaches that are doing ratings?
2: Um, you know, we have a handful here, you know. Um, you know, I, I definitely, you know, use as, as many coaches as I possibly can, um, But but beyond like the college coaches, uh, I try and be smart about who I talk to, uh, you know, whether it's a club coach or a high school coach. I really trust the high school coaches, but, uh, you know, I, I've become a big fan of, of maybe not asking, you know, why, why, while a, uh, a college coach will want to ask a high school or club coach about their guy, uh, I feel like it's, you know, very beneficial to, to ask a high school coach out of, you know, about players that they played against. Uh, because, you know, for the most part, and especially, you know, club coaches, you're going to, you know, or or some of these guys will will over exaggerate, you know, and they'll oversell, you know, and, and, uh, you know, pitch a kid too hard. And then, uh, you know, maybe they'll get burnt and and maybe they won't go back to that, you know, that coach. And and that happens so much. And that's why I wish the club coaches were a bit smarter about that and the way they, uh, they allocate the love to, to all these guys, uh, because then the mistake,
1: Make no mistake, college coaches are, are taking notes on what you tell them and whether somebody is oh, yeah. out or not. And if you tell them somebody that doesn't pan out, they will not forget that. And they know that everybody can be wrong too. Um, but you know, and everybody's a little bit, you know, biased in one way, shape, or form. I mean, like when when like Terry would call me about the best kids in Colorado. If I knew some kid from Fort Collins that no, I knew nobody knew knew about. I wasn't telling him anything. Yeah. Like, talk about the kids that everybody else already knew that I probably either wasn't going to get or maybe wasn't that high on anyways. Um, and, you know, and, and yet when I had a kid who was committed and signed, I'd be like, that kid is the best kid. You know, we got to get him ranked because we want our, our recruiting rankings as high as we can get them. So it's – yeah,
2: you got to sort of – There is them. bias everywhere, you know, and, and, and maybe different, you know, level of bias. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm a Baltimore private school, you know, grad myself and live in Baltimore, and a lot of lacrosse that I get to watch in the spring – um, you know, it's, it's damn good lacrosse, but I mean, how many times have I watched, you know, Calvert Hall and, and Bullis and Gonzaga, you know, relative to, to some of the New England prep schools yeah. that I can only see on film or, you know, maybe not even see at all. Um, you know, but, but it's a matter of just balancing that. And I can go the other way too. I mean, yeah. I've, I've been, I had just some, a uh, handful of people tell me, you know, recently that I, they think that I'm anti Baltimore, <laughs> um, which is a wild take, uh, because yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll maybe watch a kid, seven eight times and you start to pick them apart you know because you see all the flaws um you know in the game you know in their game you know relative to maybe a kid that you watch uh once or twice in the spring um you know that you aren't educated uh you know as educated on so it's uh yeah it's it's all about you know kind of finding that balance but uh you know i i will say that uh you know i mean yeah pretty pretty heavy on on watching east coast talent but uh you know, you, 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 it's the kind of thing where no matter where you're from, you're going to get to play in front of me and you're going to get to, get to play in front of, you know, uh, others in telecross and, and, like, every college coach, you know, no matter where you're from. If you're, you know, latched on with a club program or uh, a name high school in Oregon or Colorado or, or Texas or Georgia, uh, you're going to get seen you know, and, and maybe these guys will be more aware of the Baltimore and DC and Philly and Long Island, New England, you know, scenes um, because that's where, you know, the top 25 high school crosses has played. That's where the most all Americans come from, um, which is a very, you know, that's a, a metric that I think that a ton of college coaches have turned to, including a couple of teams, the final fours, they go back to these, these final four, these uh, all American lists and, you know, they will, they will look it, at where they're from. And uh, I mean, it's just a, ridiculous amount of guys from Baltimore private schools and and Long Island public schools um and and maybe upstate you know public schools and they will they will literally focus more on those areas based off who who produces what areas you know produce uh you know the the players from certain areas or or uh the most all Americans I think that is something that is uh really really prevalent in in lacrosse right now is guys from trying to get smarter and and more strategic about the, the way they make that, those things happen.
1: Such a great point. And before I ask a question about that or make a comment, uh, I do think that you are probably as unbiased as there is because you don't really have any horse in the race. And, and even, I think even maybe even more so now that you work for IL because you don't have to worry about anybody paying you. You're simply showing up to watch the best possible lacrosse that you can and try to do the best possible job you can. And you talk to everybody that you can to sort of figure that out. So I think it's actually like a great system and you're probably in a great spot to do that right now.
2: Yeah. You well, know, first off, I I appreciate that. You know, I mean, I, I do feel that way, but it, it, it's different coming from me versus somebody else. But, uh, you know, I think it, it is, I always want to avoid bias, you know, uh, whenever I can, because I, I, I do have, when it comes to rankings, I do think that people, uh, I, I can be a little bit defensive and I can, uh, I think people don't realize the time that that I put into it, the time that we put into it, and, and how much we watch, and and how many people we talk to. You know, I mean, you can you can write me off, but you know, as long as you're watching, you know, a lot of lacrosse and talking to the right people, you can create a product, um, you know, and, and uh, you know that you feel really good about. And uh, I, I love doing this stuff. I mean, I remember, you know, I mean, I talked the phone with my father, like you know, every day for half hour, you know, and we go over work, you know, his work, my work, I remember, you know, telling him one day, and and he's like, when'd you, when'd you leave, you know, the office, and this is mid-August, I said, I was in there from 8 a.m. to 3 a.m., he's like, you're out of your mind, I said, I wouldn't have any other way, you know, I'm like, I loved it, I didn't want to leave, you know, it's, it's fun to kind of put all those opinions together after watching lacrosse all summer, and, and turn into rankings, and then the feeling when you finish it, um, you know, is, is pretty incredible, although, you know, you're, you're never done, you know, you're never um you're never done with the ranking process and kind of want to keep making better and that's why we felt like um you know when I was a recruiting rundown I I, I made it a point to 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 take over the football um you know the football strategy the basketball strategy of of uh you know the the stars the three stars the four stars the five stars and kind of measure them differently uh and that's something we've tried to do and and want to keep adding you know as a uh you know, a, a supplement to, to the rankings is adding those stars. And that's something we'll be doing in a few weeks with 2020 class when they sign is, you know, adding a few dozen stars, you know, star players because, you know, as we mentioned, there's so much more talent out there than just those a hundred, you know, it doesn't like, I'm not saying if you're, if you're not ranked, that does not mean that I don't think you're a tremendous player, or a college, that you're not going to go to a, a top school. I mean, just do the math. I mean, right. we, we talked about how there are uh, you know, maybe 10, 11, 12 spots, you know, per class. I mean, if you take the top 10, I mean, that's like 120 kids or so, you know? So like it, it's a, it's a big mix, but uh, there's just more talent out there than ever. And that's why you feel the need to, to, to show them a the love they deserve and, and give them stars and, and kind of uh, you know, really just ramp up that whole process.
1: I would imagine that the mis- when you refer to, Hey, you know, I make mistakes. I'd wonder to see if the mistakes are more often mistakes of omission than commission, meaning you just didn't have a chance to see this kid play enough or he developed late. And I think that that's, that's kind of the beauty of recruiting and it's kind of the beauty of the late recruiting too. And I think we're going to see it in your rankings also, just because you haven't had the time to watch the kids as as much from as early, even though you're focusing more closely on one class at a time or maybe two, it still is a little bit limiting in terms of seeing these kids over the course of a, a four or five year window, where you can kind of get to know more kids.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely is, and I think that, and this is, you know, uh, undoubtedly, you know, self-serving for me to say, but I think that it's important to consider. Like, you know, there have been some really good players that, you know, I, I didn't rank in, in the top, you know, fifty. You know, that that were somewhere fifty-one through a hundred. I mean, Trevor Baptiste was, I think, Trevor Baptiste and Ben Reeves were ranked within a few spots of each other in the seventies, and people are saying. Oh, you know, you missed so and so. It's like everyone else did too. You know, like yes. everyone else did. I mean, Dill Malloy was, you know, maybe fifty or sixty, and and he was he chose Brown over Tufts. You know, so he was almost going D three. A lot of people missed out on on some of those guys. You know, and and that was like that was the way that it was. So like it was everyone that missed out on these kids, and uh, you know that that was definitely the nature of of things. And I think that it is now. And I think that when I, I was. I was so excited uh, to to just you know ponder the possibilities of of uh, you know the of early recruiting being outlawed you know and and thinking ahead of, of what it would mean for the way that I do my job and I think that it was actually really a really good thing for uh, you know my my career the my workflow um, but but also the legitimacy if you want to call it that of, of the rankings and I mean that uh, in the sense that. I really, it was a clean slate and and it really was a a clean slate. So in the past, like we talk about a bias here, I I, I probably had a bias um, because of some of these commitments. Like generally you're going to watch a kid or pay closer attention to a kid rather that is, that made an early commitment in ACC or big 10. I will have my eyes on them a little bit more. And, and I, and I mentioned the six or so commitments that existed you know, heading into the summer, um, I would even watch those six a little bit more whether that had Ohio State or Hopkins or UNC attached their name. So when you took that away, I think it was really refreshing to, treat a, to create a product um, where I wasn't looking at a kid and, and having a bias because yeah. of his commitment. And, and, and that would, you know, in turn, uh, create probably more valuations of that kid, you know, more, um, you know, a harder look on that kid. It, it was nice to to literally have you know 95% of the top 100 be uncommitted um yeah. and and not like i think you've also you've seen in the rankings there's kids that have committed to high point and and utah and uh, all sorts of different schools that that aren't the powers that be um so it, it's it's more diverse on that it'll be interesting to see kind of you know the the way those rankings evolve because i mean there's a lot of kids that take off the rankings and add to the rankings but uh it, it was really nice to kind of have that clean slate. And I think it just, because, you know, I mean, a commitment is a validation of talent. And I've said this in the podcast before, you know, with, with Terry Foy, but, you know, a, a commitment is a validation of talent, you know, whether it, you know, from my perspective or from a poacher's perspective, uh, you know, a, a, a top 20 school being attached to a kid's name, it, it validates, uh, the kind of player that they are. You I mean, take that away.
1: Plus, it truly was a self-fulfilling prophecy. In it was. Experience. So therefore, it was like, well, I don't think that kid is that good. And a lot of people don't, but he's committed to an ACC school, so I've got to rank him. And now, you know, like you said, clean slate and um, pretty exciting. Really cool. Yeah, story.
2: I mean, I may have like you know, there, there probably were like seven or eight kids that were committed to you know Maryland or Virginia. You know, each each uh, each school, you'd have like eight or nine kids in there. And at the end of the day, like we said, man, there's gonna be five kids, you know, that that they need to make an impact, yeah. um, you know, per class, and only one ball, uh, you know. So you you, you kind of have to to look at things that way. Although, you know, that's what makes the ranking process, uh, you know, different from the recruiting process in that I'm looking at who's the best right now, you know, I, I right now, and right. college coaches are seeing in front of them the talent right now, but they have to project, you know, yeah. based on their depth chart, based on, you know, more so four or five, six years out. Um, and, and what they'll look like, what they'll play like, what their maturity like as a college, you know, freshman through senior rather than, than what I do. And, and just looking at that high school, junior, high school, senior, and not taking in much, as much in consideration about the way they project the next level, you know, and that's not what I'm doing. And that's, you know, what I've always want to make clear is that I'm just looking at it right now. And coaches are, they, they want, you know, who's going to be the best player in a couple of years. You know, upside is, is right. everything.
1: So it is a little bit different as far as what you're looking at and why and what they're looking at. And that is interesting. The two key words right now, everybody should be happy with those words because you know that changes and if you don't like where you are right now then just keep the faith and keep working your butt off and I think you'll have a great chance. Ty thank you so much for taking the time there's literally so many more topics I want to ask you about but we've been on for a while so we're gonna to have to do this again sometime soon.
2: Oh I can't wait man I appreciate you having me and, and happy to come on anytime really enjoy it. Awesome thanks Ty have a great day. Thanks so much Jim you too. The
0: Podcast is made possible in part by the JM3 Video Assessment Tool. There's no question that video is critical to player development. One way or another, your son or daughter must utilize video to learn their game and the game. To learn more, see video testimonials, or register, go to www.jm3sports.com forward
2: slash video right now.